Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. This is the California Report magazine. I'm April Domboski, filling in for Sasha Coca. For years and years, Lori was told she couldn't have a baby. Doctors said with her health history, it would be next to impossible. So Lori put it out of her mind. Then when she was least expecting it, she got pregnant. I had this moment where I was like, this is a little miracle baby. Lori and her boyfriend decided to go for it. They were living a dream life in Grass Valley, a house on a farm with chickens and turkeys and goats. To them, a perfect place to raise a kid. I was seeking sort of a peaceful, calming, healing life experience up there. It ended up being a bit different than what I'd anticipated. About two months into her pregnancy, something didn't feel right. Lori had terrible pains in her abdomen, like doubled over, can't eat anything, can barely stand up kind of pain. I had gone to the doctor in Grass Valley, and they assured me that the pain I was feeling was normal, and it was my uterus growing and getting ready for the baby, and cramping was normal. But the pain got worse, and her belly was getting really big like volleyball size, when she should have been in the modest grapefruit category. She went back to the clinic. I felt like something's wrong, something they're not telling me. And they just kept telling me, just wait it out, it'll get better, just wait. One night, the pain got so bad, Lori went to the emergency room at Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital. They did an ultrasound, and I knew something wasn't right. She could see a fuzzy gray area around the fetus that looked like TV static. When the doctor came in, Lori asked, what is that? Is there a problem? They said, you're fine. Calm down. Calm down. It was a male doctor, and he just kept telling me, calm down, and I'm crying. And he said, it's just your pregnancy hormones making you emotional. There's nothing to worry about. Just go home and take a Tylenol. Lori tried to explain. She was missing shifts at her bakery job because she couldn't stand anymore. The pain was so bad. But they said, you know, the baby's heart rate is strong. That's what you need to worry about. Just wait. So Lori tried that, waiting. And after another month of things not getting better, Lori went to another doctor. 
a specialist in Sacramento. She thought maybe this city doctor could tell her more. I'm at this posh building with cucumber water. The staff did another ultrasound, and Lori found out she was going to have a girl. And I said, now what's all of this underneath her? It doesn't look right. It was the fuzzy TV static again. And this doctor told Lori what she had suspected. She had a large fibroid growing inside her uterus. Fibroids are benign tumors made up of muscle tissue, and Lori had had them before. It's why she thought she couldn't get pregnant. I I wanted more information, and I said, can this impact the baby's health? Can this impact my health? And she just kept saying, well, your baby's heartbeat is strong, so just wait. That's when Lori asked about abortion. She desperately did not want one. But something felt wrong, and she wanted to know the risks. She says that's when the conversation with the doctor got uncomfortable. She made me feel guilty for asking about the baby's health, and she said, well, if there was going to be something wrong with the baby, would that impact your decision to carry it? It's a question any doctor may have asked, but Lori left feeling judged and ultimately confused. She still didn't understand what exactly was going on. I felt like a complete outcast. I was being made to feel like I I was crazy. Lori called her brother in San Jose, and he said, get in your car and drive down here. I'm taking you to Stanford. A week later, Lori was seeing her fourth doctor. It was the first time I felt heard. She started crying, and this doctor said, tell me everything. I wasn't up on the table yet. I was sitting in a chair, and she sat across from me, and we just talked face-to-face, not while I was had my feet in stirrups and a wand shoved up my business. The doctor did a thorough exam, and this time, the news about how Lori and her baby were doing was stark and unfiltered. They told me that I had... Um, So many fibroids, they had completely filled my uterus and wrapped around it. They were tearing at the walls of her uterus. My cervix had been bent completely in half. Her bladder was compressed. My intestines were pinched shut. And her baby, the fibroids, were crowding around her. They speculated that she was being, she was being crushed. Lori was just over three months pregnant at this point. Doctor said without enough room to grow, the baby could be born with defects or might not make it at all. They told Lori she might not survive the delivery. All these people telling me, just wait, just wait, just wait. They were giving me a death sentence. With all this information laid out for her clearly, Lori had a tortured decision to make. Accept the risks and hope for the best or expect the worst and protect herself she decided to have an abortion. I had to sign papers saying that I agreed to terminate her life. I had to sign papers saying that I wanted her cremated. I had to sign papers saying that I didn't want to hold her beforehand. You know, it wasn't some flippant decision. Anybody who thinks that it's an easy decision to see that little hand wave and then opt to have her life terminated to save your own. (laughs) 
All this happened in the summer of 2018. It's been a long and slow recovery for Lori. But the moment it became clear the Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe v. Wade, everything came flooding back. Lori watched as state lawmakers declared California an abortion haven. An abortion safe haven. An abortion sanctuary state. They want when for Lori, it was anything but. Gavin Newsom says California will be a sanctuary state for women seeking abortions from around the country. The governor signed some of the most robust abortion rights laws in the country last year, with another package on the table now. But none of these protections reach inside the exam room. Even in California. They can't control the one-on-one conversations between a patient and her doctor. Even in California. And they don't regulate the gray area of how doctors interpret the abortion restrictions that do exist. Even in California, women and girls still have to travel long distances to access their reproductive rights. Even in California, can you imagine? Lori went to three providers in her rural corner of the state. First, a federal Indian health clinic, then a hospital and a doctor's office, both affiliated with a Catholic network. All three prohibit abortion, except when the mother's life is in danger. And the way they define danger, Lori didn't qualify, which is why she drove nearly 200 miles to Stanford, where Dr. Jennifer Conti agreed to help her. Right now in Lori's situation, like right now in 2018, was her life in danger? No. But if I were a betting person and I was looking at, okay, by the time she delivers, would her life be in danger? Yes. Lori had high blood pressure, kidney disease, asthma, and huge fibroids causing excruciating pain. Conti says the pregnancy was putting extra stress on Lori's heart, kidney, lungs, and uterus. If she and the baby made it to her due date, Lori was at high risk of dying from blood loss. And when people bleed after delivery, they bleed so fast. But at the three-month mark, the threat wasn't imminent. Lori wasn't going to die today or tomorrow. And at Catholic-affiliated institutions and federally funded clinics, an abortion at this stage is considered elective, and they won't do it. That's just insane. (laughs) That's insane. These policies have a direct impact on women's health. But they also shape a medical culture that influences how doctors think. Dr. Conti says what physicians think and believe, that impacts what they say and do. Doctors have so much power when it comes to helping people get abortion care. We think about it often as like the stuff they say, like here's where to go, here's how to get resources. But it's not just the stuff they say, it's the stuff they don't say. What if they withhold information from you because of their own inherent biases? Conte raises this question about other doctors because it's something she's had to ask herself. For the first part of her life, she was staunchly opposed to abortion. I grew up in a very large Mexican family. I'm the oldest of 19 grandchildren, so I saw birth a lot. Conte's hometown is in a rural part of California, not far from where Lori lived. Everyone Conti knew there believed abortion was a sin, so she did too. It wasn't until college that I just, you know, you go to college, your horizons start to broaden, you meet people who aren't like you, you take science classes. (laughs) Um, And it was at that point that I realized I had gotten a lot of stuff wrong. Conti spent years reconsidering and reformulating her beliefs. She provides full-scope abortion care now. But she says she understands how a doctor's upbringing or religious values might influence the care they deliver, intentionally or unintentionally. 
maybe you conveniently leave out some of the alternatives. Maybe you conveniently don't tell the whole story because in your heart, that's what you're supposed to do. Lori can't help but wonder if this is what happened to her. She recently got a hold of her medical records from when she was pregnant. And it turns out the doctor who did her first ultrasound, he knew about the fibroids. The second doctor knew Lori might die. She knew the baby might not make it. Time and again, nobody was clear with me. Before, I just assumed they didn't know anything, and now I think they knew things and they weren't disclosing that information for whatever their reasons may have been. Fourteen states have laws that allow doctors to withhold information about fetal anomalies if they believe the pregnant woman will rely on it to get an abortion. California doesn't have a law like that, but Catholic hospitals that operate in California do. And how that's implemented is truly mysterious. UCSF sociologist Lori Friedman studies Catholic health care. She says maybe this religious rule influenced the care Lori got. That sounds like somebody who was taking that directive very seriously and not wanting to tell her what was wrong. Lori had no idea this rule existed. In fact, she had no idea the hospital or the doctor's office she went to were affiliated with a Catholic system. Who would guess that with names like Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital or Sacramento Maternal Fetal Center? Professor Friedman says this is common. Turns out that 37% of people who go to a Catholic hospital as their primary place for reproductive care don't know that it's Catholic. Because of market consolidation and mergers, the number of Catholic-affiliated hospitals in the U.S. has increased 28 percent over the last two decades. In California, one out of six hospital beds is now Catholic, with much of the growth in rural or low-income areas. Dignity Health, the Catholic network with oversight of two of Lori's doctors, declined to comment on her case, but did say its physicians are not allowed to withhold critical information from their patients. So we do not constrain that conversation. Lori Capello-Dangberg is executive vice president at the Alliance of Catholic Healthcare. And if you're counting, this is the third Lori in this story. Her group lobbies on behalf of California's three Catholic hospital chains, including Dignity. And within our hospitals, we expect our physicians using their own best medical judgment to inform patients of all their treatment options. She wanted to clarify the Catholic directive that says doctors are not permitted to diagnose fetal defects if parents might then seek abortion. So it doesn't say anything about constraining or gagging uh, a physician from having a conversation. Capello-Dangberg says this directive in particular isn't so much a rule for hospitals, but more like a recommendation for doctors. There's no institutional policy, so that may be more guidance for an individual health care provider. Bottom line, Catholic hospitals have this directive on the books, but they don't enforce it. And if doctors who work for them choose to follow it based on their own moral values, well, hospitals say that's not on them. Discussions between physicians and patients are confidential. We don't have a, um, a glass up to the door listening to their conversations. I mean, that's sort of absurd. To Lori, this just sounds like a medical system not taking responsibility for the doctors who work there, or the culture of care created by its non-policy policies. 
a culture she says caused her permanent harm. It took Lori two months to find a doctor she trusted, one who worked at a hospital where abortion was allowed. But by the time she went into the operating room, the fibroids were so large and enmeshed in her uterus, she started to bleed. The only way to complete the procedure safely was to do a hysterectomy. I only wish that I had had the opportunity to do it much sooner, and maybe the outcome would have been a little bit better. She wondered if she had been able to get the abortion a month or two earlier. Could they have at least saved her uterus? Could she have tried again? You know, now I can't ever have kids. That's the grief I carry with me now. The double loss of her baby and her fertility, it stuck with her. Every day she sees babies on TV or the grocery store, and she wants to know why. Why didn't she get the information from her doctors that she needed? Um, I don't want to be angry. But... I'm really flipping angry. <laughs> One of Lori's doctors still works at a Dignity Hospital, and the administration wouldn't let me talk to him. But the last doctor Lori saw before going to Stanford, she's since left her Dignity practice, and she agreed to a conversation. Uh, my name is Catalina Reyes. I am an associate clinical professor at the University of California, Davis. I'm a high-risk OB specialist or a maternal fetal medicine specialist. Even before I sat down with Dr. Reyes, I couldn't help but note her rock star resume. Undergrad at Stanford. Harvard Medical School. Obstetrics residency at USC. The University of Southern California. Six years on the board of the California Healthcare Foundation, devoted to helping low-income patients access care. I am currently the chair of the board. Reyes also happens to be married to one of the most powerful health officials in the country— U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra, who has so consistently defended abortion rights, he's been called an enemy of the unborn. He called the overturning of Roe v. Wade unconscionable Unconscionable. and despicable. despicable. Our hearts are heavy and broken by this loss of rights and dignity. This is a moment of crisis in healthcare. But perhaps the most interesting thing from Dr. Reyes's bio is that she was one of the earliest pioneers to address unconscious bias in medicine. I was on the Institute of Medicine's committee that helped put together that report on unequal treatment. 20 years ago, Reyes helped write a huge groundbreaking report showing doctors treat their Black and Latino patients differently from white patients. From there, research showed doctors treat their female patients differently from male patients. LGBT status, body size, religion, and faith are all factors in unequal treatment. Reyes's work helped launch this movement. For me, and those were in my formative years. After hearing Lori's version of this doctor's visit and talking to Dr. Conti from Stanford, I admit Dr. Reyes was not the person I was expecting— a doctor who has actively tried to control for her own biases throughout her career. I do try to formulate questions that are more open-ended so that I'm hearing from the patient as opposed to just hearing what I'm expecting to hear. So yes, no, it's been a very important part of my life. For that matter, so has her own Catholic faith. Dr. Reyes has served on the boards of two Catholic health systems, including Dignity. To me, it really was about the mission. 
Those religious directives that prohibit abortion, they also talk about the mandate in the Bible to care for the poor. This is why Catholic hospitals are often located in rural or low-income areas, places for-profit hospitals consider bad for business. It is not by coincidence that I was delivered at a Catholic health system. My parents were migrant farm workers in the San Joaquin Valley, and the Catholic hospital was the nearest hospital. So it, it is very much a part of the world I've lived in. But some Catholic rules have also raised dilemmas in her family. Reyes is one of eight children. When her mother's doctor urged her to use contraception, saying her life could be at risk from another pregnancy, she was torn. And that was a very difficult time for her because, as she describes, these are God's children, and my role in life is to guide my children. Eventually, Reyes's mother had a tubal ligation. But even into her 80s, she worried whether it was the right thing to do. I would tell her, you know, you... You made the decision to be here for your children, and you've done a, an incredible job. But it was always, it always stuck with her. Reyes chose her career to help women like her mother, to balance their faith with science so their ethical decisions wouldn't haunt them for the rest of their lives. Our job was really to respect their autonomy in making that decision. So how did a doctor like Reyes someone committed to helping women feel confident in the choices they made around being mothers, sit down with a smart, sensitive patient like Lori and have things go so badly. Could we maybe talk a little bit about Lori's case? Did you have a chance to look over the... I, I did. With Lori's permission, I sent Dr. Reyes a copy of Lori's medical record before we sat down to talk. Do you have any memory of her at all? I do. I do. I, absolutely, I do. Dr. Reyes wrote an extensive note after seeing Lori in 2018, and she came to a lot of the same conclusions that Dr. Conti did. But when Lori read the note for the first time recently, she was surprised by how detailed it was. It sounds like she made clear to me that this was a high-risk pregnancy, that... Um, Dr. Reyes listed the details of Lori's fibroids in her notes. Risk of miscarriage, risk to the fetus's ability to grow, risk of bleeding after delivery. risk of postpartum hemorrhage. She understands her risks include mortality. To Dr. Reyes's memory, their conversation was thoughtful and measured. To Lori, something got lost in translation. I feel like if a doctor had said you are at risk of dying, I wouldn't have just left. I counsel patients. I, I may not stay focused on a certain word, you know, life-threatening. It's clear that her risks were very high. But I, I don't remember focusing on those words that you could die. I think she was vague and said, well, there's risks, but the baby's got a good heartbeat and look at the picture, and she was inherently positive and cheerful about the pregnancy. I don't remember the word optimistic. I do remember it, it is important to lay out options. She wrote that I'm torn with continuing the pregnancy versus termination. Termination. This is deliberate language among obstetricians. When you treat women with pregnancies that are wanted, the term abortion becomes fraught, almost a dirty word. Even Lori says she couldn't bring herself to utter it. Not because I'm opposed to it, but because I didn't want that to have to be my answer. 
but she expected her doctor to be matter-of-fact about it. She seemed unwilling to discuss it. Not in a stern way, but in an uncomfortable way. Other physicians might be a little bit more straightforward about it. I, I think I've just learned to respect a patient and sort of hear her and allow her to make decisions about her, her life. Talking to both Lori and Dr. Reyes, I can't help but sense a mutual misunderstanding here. Lori acknowledges there was a certain point during the appointment when she started to tune out and just wait for it to be over. It was like, this is not a medical professional I trust because they can't talk to me about this in a straightforward manner. But fundamentally, Dr. Reyes saw Lori's case as complicated. Sometimes the decisions are not so straightforward. And she said so this 10 times during our interview. And so it's not so straightforward. It's not so straightforward. And so it isn't so straightforward. I feel like Dr. Reyes had the best of intentions. She was a, a very likable, warm, kind person. She wasn't dismissive or anything. Um, but she also had this hesitancy about her that I did not experience when I went to Stanford. The only thing that I can attribute that to is personal beliefs being interwoven into her medical judgment, whatever those beliefs may be. But what if it was the opposite? What if Dr. Reyes did have conflicted feelings about abortion, but what Lori saw as hesitancy was actually Reyes working to account for her own unconscious bias. I, I think it exists within all of us. It's not easy to accept, but it does exist. We, once we This is why she asks open-ended questions and leaves plenty of space for patients to make their own decisions. Reyes's whole bedside manner is designed to take herself out of the equation. Because it's not about my beliefs. It really is about Respecting patient autonomy. Is it possible that what went wrong here is that Reyes did too good of a job at this? Was she so open-ended that it made her confusing and difficult to understand? Or is it possible that Lori, after being gaslit by a series of other doctors, came into this exam harboring some unconscious expectations of her own? Not that I wanted her to fix everything, but I wanted her to fix everything. <laughs> At the end of the day, Lori didn't get what she needed from Reyes or the doctors before her, whether it was because of a Catholic policy problem or a communication problem. There was something Lori wanted to hear, and she wasn't hearing it. If you're pro-life and you're pregnant, you can go online and find a pro-life OBGYN. There's a directory for that. If something goes wrong, you know you and your doctor will be on the same page. But there's no registry for pro-choice obstetricians. Maybe in California, everyone assumes that's the default. I never would have thought I'd need it. But for Lori, the maze of religious rules underlying her care and the ambiguity of who believed what left her feeling lost. With one doctor after another, she couldn't tell who's on my side. I mean, doctors are the ones who are supposed to be impartial, aren't they? <laughs> And that's not what I saw. But maybe impartiality was not what Lori was actually looking for. 
Maybe she needed someone who did more than respect her decision. A doctor who would also validate her decision. A doctor who said, this pregnancy could kill you, and if you choose abortion, it's okay. It's okay to choose your own life. That's the California Report magazine. Today's story was edited by Kevin Stark and Katrina Schwartz. It was mixed by Brendan Willard and directed by Susie Racho, with production help from Seal Muller, Jessica Carissa, and Anna Marie Yanni. I'm April Domboski. Sasha Koka will be back next week. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.